I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Grand Execution, taken from the album A Touch of Class, by my guest today on the program, Shannon McArdle. Let me tell you a little bit about Shannon McArdle. You want it darker? Leonard Cohen once wrote, We Kill the Flame. Well, over the course of her three solo albums, Shannon McArdle has proven that when she wants it darker, she'll do more than just kill the flame. She'll slice it right in half. Boasting a winning songbook filled with wardens, summer whores, axes, exes, harlots, pistons, and poison, McArdle's narratives are battle hymns for the broken, fight songs for the forlorn, and anthems for the anguished. And only McArdle can sing of such subject matter with such poise, such grace, and such class. Now, before we get to her new record, which happens to be called A Touch of Class, let's back up for a second. The New York-born McArdle hooked up with the Georgia-based indie outfit The Mendoza Line in the late 90s, first appearing on the band's We're All in This Alone album, which came out in 2000. Now, I know at this point the story sounds simple enough, but it's about to get very complicated. Trust me. The Mendoza Line were like an American version of the Mekons, they loved country music, and they loved post-punk. And, like the Mekons, they had a lot of members coming and going. Although, to be fair, they never had a revolving door that, well, revolved as much as those pesky Mekons. Revolving door aside, old pals Timothy Bracey and Peter Hoffman remained the group's constants. Another constant? Great reviews. The Mendoza line were always critical darlings, and in a perfect world, all critical darlings would be as rich as Jay-Z and Beyonce, but it doesn't work that way because it's an imperfect world and you can't deposit good reviews into your bank account. I mean, you can try, but they'll ask you to leave. So, the Mendoza line were one of those critically acclaimed bands always threatening to break through, but... They never quite got over the hump. Although there was no marriage between the Mendoza line and the mainstream, there was, however, a marriage 
in the Mendoza line. I told you this was going to get complicated. Well, here we go. McArdle and Bracey tied the knot in 2005, and then they untied it in 2007. A marriage is a tricky thing to do in a band. Ask Fleetwood Mac. But a divorce? A divorce is even trickier. Ask Fleetwood Mac. So here's how it all went down. In 2007, the Mendoza line put out their valedictory effort called 30 Year Low, and that was that. The band was officially on hiatus. McArdle had lost her marriage, and she had lost the Mendoza line. To give you some perspective, if you worked for Google, and you married someone who worked at Google, and then you got divorced, you'd lose your marriage, sure, but you wouldn't lose Google. You might move your cubicle or go somewhere else for kale smoothies and massages, but you'd still work there. Nevertheless, putting Google behind her, McArdle roared back with the stinging solo album Summer of the Whore, a stone-cold classic that has all the open-wounded beauty of Patty Griffin's living with ghosts and the spiky poeticism of Dylan's blood on the tracks. McArdle's Fear the Dream of Axes came in 2012, and it was a smoldering and winning follow-up to her debut. It was dark and beautiful and unreasonably brilliant. And now, in the waning weeks of summer, McArdle is about to release her third solo album. Titled A Touch of Class, it's a straight-up killer. A ten-song effort, it's a stark and stirring record that's filled with riches. From the lilting country of the opener Five Modes, to the rootsy shuffle of Port Town, to the broken waltz of Like a Harlot Wood, a touch of class brings to mind everyone from Graham Parsons to Roseanne Cash. Now look, I know we're in August, and it's too soon to start making your best-of-the-year lists. We usually do that in late November, or in my case, late January. Uh, but the fact is, Shannon McArdle's A Touch of Class is on my list. It is one of the year's best albums, and I don't care what happens between now and December. The fact of the matter is, it's hard to imagine anybody is going to release an album as powerful, as stirring, and as beautiful as A Touch of Class. Yes, you need to own it. And yes, you need to listen to my chat with Shannon, which we're going to do right now. This is me talking to Shannon McArdle. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I don't have Uber. I'll jump it. If someone says, do you want to get in on my Uber? Then I'm like, sure. But I always use Arecibo here in Brooklyn. Um, oh, okay. I've used them for for 20 years, and when you call, you can only call. You can't book online or text, and then they always say five minutes, and they mean it. It's always five minutes. Well, here in Berkeley and San Francisco, we have Lyft. Seems like it's kicking Uber's ass. Mm. Lyft is catching up here, I think. Lyft yeah. is. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but Lyft has good uh, street branding. You see that glowing thing in the in the in the windshield, and it looks very uh, trustworthy. And it's pink, pink. right? Their yes. logo is pink. Yeah. So you're right. a Lyft guy. Uh, I've never taken a Lyft or an Uber in my life, and I actually <laughs> use I use a flip phone too, which is ridiculous. That's amazing, but yet you know how to set up an Uber conference call. Yeah, exactly. So you're with it. Gonna, you're with it. I was going to say, I got your new album, Advance, on 8-Track. Oh, yeah. 
Yes, I'm so glad. <laughs> now, congratulations on the record. I know it's about to hit shelves. Uh, what is it like to put an album out now? How does it differ from when you put a record out with the Mendoza line? Is it the same? Is it different? Like, how does it go? How do you do it? Well, I really am just figuring this out because it's my, so this is my third solo record and I had a two record deal with Bar None. Um, and so the first two felt very much like it did putting a record out with the Mendoza line in that, you know, when you're signed with a label, they do stuff for you. <laughs> you don't have to, to worry about uh, anything really. It's really nice. Um, and this was my first sort of self-relief. And I was so paralyzed. I'm, you know, and all so many of my friends helped me out, and um, I could go to so many people to ask questions, but I just felt really paralyzed by it. Um, and so it took me two and a half years to finally put it out. It's been done for, I think, two and a half years. It's crazy. I've just been sitting on it. So it's been an interesting process. It's a weird thing because even in, because I'm a writer, and I remember I, I signed my first book deal. And mm-hmm. they, this is like back in like 2011. And they said, oh, this will mm-hmm. be so great. Your book is going to come out in 2014. And I was like, I <laughs> I'm still alive when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, once I finally started, you know, just doing what I needed to do, it was a pretty fast process. And um, Ray Ketchum, who, uh, who ended up um, mastering it and who I've worked with for many years, um, who, uh, he in- engineered some of the Mendoza line records as well. Um, he just kind of did it all for me. I'm like, can I just give you some money and you figure out how to just get this on CD baby and make sure that it's on the iTunes and, and it's all, it's all happened. So I really haven't learned that much <laughs> because I had someone else do it for me. <laughs> well, that's, that's, listen, you know what you learned? You learned how to delegate. Yes. Yes. But I've been well, doing that my whole life, so I really have learned nothing. Are you a good delegator? I think I'm a good delegator. I mean, I'm a high school teacher, so there's a lot of delegation there. Um, and like, you know, if we're grading regents exams, like if we're sent somewhere to grade other schools' regents exams, somehow I'm always table leader. I think there's just, I mean, something about my face that makes people think that I'm a good delegator. You're very trustworthy. I'm a teacher as well, so I can relate. Oh, what do you teach? I teach uh, college English, freshman composition. Oh. Yeah. Well, I teach 12th grade English. Oh, cool. So you guys, you guys do like, uh, what books do you guys do? You probably do like what, like The Stranger or or is that earlier? I don't even know what I'm going to be doing this year because I'm teaching AP English and Gen Ed, but um, do um, always do Streetcar. Um, last, last year, we, I did The Bluest Eye, um, The Brief Wonders Life of Oscar Wow, Othello. I think I'm oh. doing The Sound and the Fury this year. Oh, that's a great one. Do your yeah. um, do your students do they know about your rock and roll lifestyle? Um, they yes, they like to Google their teachers and they find it fascinating and so but it's funny um i basically started teaching high school because i taught esl to adult immigrants for many years and then after the divorce i'm like oh fuck i need better health insurance so i went back (laughs) for my master's in public education and um 
I initially taught freshmen, ninth graders, and Summer of the Whore had like come out a year before uh, or something like that. And uh, the kids are just like, oh, yeah, so I looked you up, Summer of the Whore. And <laughs> my mom really likes your music. And I thought, oh, Jesus, I'm so going to get fired. But um, my principal was a huge music lover. He knew about it in the interview. He was just like, you're hired. So it's been okay. But yes. They do, but they don't think I'm cool. They are just like, oh, miss, that's country music. I'm like, all right. I mean, have you made a song? <laughs> I don't I don't say that to them, but. <laughs> well, I know that like Steve from uh, Suicide Commandos, he is also a teacher in New York. And wow. I, I always wonder if like, you know, if, I know the students Google us. I know they check out mm -hmm. who we are. Um, Mine don't seem as curious about me, but but my you know I I've written a couple of books, not as sexy as being uh, in a band. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna have to read your book. Oh well, listen, that I would I would love it if you read my book. Um, okay, done. I would love. Okay, that's great. Um, Are so, they, okay. Can I get them on Kindle? You can. Yeah. Okay. You can. Right. I will then. Um. Do you uh? Okay, let me ask you this. So the album has been done for two and a half years. You've been sitting on it. Does that, does that mean that you have another album finished? Mm, I wish. Um, I just started, well, you know, I'm always sort of writing, but I really just got serious about writing for, I guess it would be the next record. Um, around the time that I started getting serious about putting this one out, because I knew it was stopping me from from writing or thinking seriously about making another record. So there was a long pause there, um, which I was not very productive or creative. Um, so I'm just getting, sort of just getting back to it in the last few months. How has your relationship changed to the songwriting process between, you know, when you were in your 20s and now? Like what, what are you better? Do you think you're more efficient? Do you know what goes in a song and what doesn't? Whereas like, when we're younger, we throw a lot of stuff in and go, I don't know, maybe we'll see if that fits. Do you, do you find that you, there's a more of an efficacy in the process now? Yeah. Um, I, I remember when I first started writing, um, so it would have been 20 um, and join the Mendoza line that um, I basically, Tim, my husband gave me a guitar and then I asked my twin brother who I went to, college with we shared this really cool house in Athens Georgia it was amazing good times um I said you know teach me six chords and I thought and then I was like okay so these are the six chords I know so they have to be in every song and there were some weird songs that came out of that <laughs> and I don't think they were bad but they uh it's like I, I was trying too hard and there um and I find that first of all it's very uncommon for me to have a song with more than four chords in it and three is my I mean I, I was practicing with Bob we have a show coming up and uh we were playing with a new guitar player and uh so Bob's like so this is uh C D and G just like the last one. Oh wait the last one was G D and C um and basically <laughs> I I think I'm working with three chords right now for like the whole album is, I think, is three chords. Might be four. It's really minimalist. 
Do you like that better? Do you feel that you can stretch out more in a, in a minimalist setting? I just feel that's how I, 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 I think for a while I thought of it as a challenge. I remember reading something that uh, Elvis Costello said that like, um, you know, the shorter the song, the better. And if you can write a great song with two chords, like you're a genius or something. And I've only written one of those. It was um, Poison My Cup on Summer of the Whore. And people, when they listen to it, they don't realize it's just two chords. And so I initially challenged myself to be very efficient in my writing. And now I don't think I can write a song with more than four chords in it. Um, so it's just what I do now. <laughs> well, like a song like Scourge of the Land, to me, seems very simple, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That, that's with Mendoza line, but that, but that's like, mm -hmm. I mean, there is a sort of, I always loved uh, that song. That's my favorite Mendoza line song because it's so oh. simple and it cuts so hard. I cannot get over that song. Thank you. I love it. Thank um, you very much. With pleasure. Now, what about your subject matter? How about lyrically? Mm -hmm. What do you, what are you working out now? Uh, do you find that you keep returning to the same ideas or themes? Are you grappling with the same stuff? Sadly, I would say I'm grappling with a lot of the same stuff. <laughs> um, but I, I feel that, I don't know, this record, like if I were to describe it or, or in one word, I think it would be, I think it addresses like tedium. I think um, like uh, there's the song, why do we live where we do? And I, think about this all the time like why why do I live here why do I live in Brooklyn and every two years you know when my lease is up I think maybe I should go somewhere and then I don't know where to go so I decided this was home but I'm not quite sure when that happened and so that sort of feeling stuck is definitely something that's on my mind and I think um just also I think like trying to maintain dignity <laughs> that's a huge issue for me and I address that quite a bit um it's in you know much more important to me in in my 40s I think than it was in my 20s um also I think just uh nature nature's been on my mind I read, it's a lot about uh I started uh hiking the Appalachian Trail with my sister um five years ago and every spring break, my spring break, we do about um, 80 miles over five days. And so we'll be, we started in Georgia and then we just, you know, start or start back wherever we ended. So I'll be 69 when we finish in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice age. I like it. Um, yeah. And it's, just, and that really, um, the, it's, so amazing sort of I mean just being I never thought of myself as one who would love to hike and it's just such a challenge and so amazing you know spending time with her talking about you know being a woman of a certain age and heartbreaks and letdowns but I think also um, I've really cultivated a friendship with her we haven't always been very close and so it's interesting um, that just in our late 30s and 40s that um, we've become truly friends and gotten to know each other and I think that um like the song Pistons and Blazes is sort of a tribute to her but also to um female relationships that I've cultivated in the last decade because it feels 
fairly new to me, truly uh, appreciating those friendships. Does it feel like the hike has been one of those like galvanizing elements where you got to know your sister better because of the hiking? Oh yeah, totally. And you really, we both say, oh, we couldn't have, we couldn't do it with anyone else. We're complete opposites. We could not be more different. Like she's, she gets hangry and doesn't realize that, you know, she's being bitchy. Um, and, uh, and she's great at the beginning of the day and I'm, I sort of get better toward, you know, power through and then I'm sort of taking us through to the end. But, um, also just knowing someone well enough to just walk ahead of them and know like, okay, I'm not going to get far ahead or she's not going to get far ahead of me. We'll stop and check in with each other, but know when it's time to like shut up and not talk and it's okay. And you have to really feel comfortable with someone to be with them and not feel that you have to talk all the time too. It's funny because that hike is so filled with metaphors. I don't know where to begin. I know. That's why I've been <laughs> writing about it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, I, my yeah. guess is she's your older sister. She is, yes. By two and a half years. Mm. So She's the only non-musical person in the family. Oh, is that right? Yeah. She has, she's not the... Mm-hmm. She, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, I always feel if you want to really see if you like somebody, go hiking with them because yeah, you're, you or camping or yeah something where you're a little out of your element um yeah it's, it's been great for us now do you find that with with music now like how do you view the whole process of being a musician i mean did you ever think about it like you're talking about the appalachian show and it's like you're playing the long game you figured out we're going to be done when we're i'm 69 she's 71 when you were when you started off in music, was there a plan? Did you think like, okay, we start here and then I'll be playing with Rihanna in twelve years? In other words, <laughs> like, was, was there a plan? Did you see it through, or did you just go day by day? Well, I think for there was probably a two year period um, in I guess it was the early two thousands where it looked like the Mendoza line may have a shot at sort of making a living at this, you know, but I don't know that, I don't know that I wanted to make a living making music. Like I I never felt that the sort of touring life was for me or quite honestly, not having like a, you know, a a real job (laughs) because I rely so much on structure to kind of feel healthy and you know and not go crazy and though I loved those days um they were also really hard on me um and I think I was always sort of holding my breath and you know thinking okay well we'll be back home in a week or two whatever um and so I don't think I ever saw it as yeah like being big or playing with Rihanna or even making a true living doing it i think others in the band may have felt differently but well yeah that's interesting to me you know i've interviewed bands for 30 years i've never heard anybody say that i mean it's so interesting to hear you say like well uh, you know i was thinking maybe it wasn't something i wanted to even make a living doing um yeah i knew i always i knew i wanted to continue to make music and i and i had you know I don't know that the band would have ever 
dissolved had it not been for, you know, the, the divorce. Um, and after that, I think there was a, you know, a three month period where I said, Oh, I'm never going to write again. And then I wrote this very, uh, creepy children's book with, uh, six accompanying songs. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why and I, I never did anything with it, but it's, you know, it's about like a horse and some cats and self-esteem and they're actually, I, I love the songs, but man, they're so depressing. I mean, no child should ever hear them, nor have they. And then very shortly, very shortly after that, I started recording a summer of the whore with Adam's gold. Um, so I got back on the horse pretty quickly. You had to deal with two losses. I mean, you know, your, your band and yeah. your marriage, right? So, th so you were going, mm -hmm. th the darkness can be explained <laughs> very easily. Yes. The darkness can be explained, but my, you know, thought process of writing a children's book can't really be explained. Yeah, right. Like, I'm feeling so horrible and so dark. <laughs> let, me, let me explain this to children. Yeah, this wasn't the right avenue. I've, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, but it is, it is profound to have to go through two losses, your band, your marriage. I mean, that in terms of just survival, um, what was yeah. your strategy? Like, what did you do? Did you, was, was creativity the answer? Like, what was the answer? I'm sure a lot of people would like to hear that there's a magical answer. I know there isn't. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel I spent quite a bit of time kind of hiding and just going, you know, just going through the motions of, you know, getting up and going to work and my cat. <laughs> it's very sad. I spent a lot of time with my cat, uh, a lot of time in the apartment. Um, I drank too much. And, but I really, Summer of the Whore helped me through that time a lot because it, it did take up a, a lot of my time just recording with Adam. And I really did enjoy it even though it was it's a very miserable record i had to get it out and it did help yeah and just have a project you know yeah to, to exercise that darkness to get it to shake it up otherwise it kind of festers and it becomes it will kill you yes i remember reading um some review of the wreck and you know i i think generally there are some really great reviews but and I can't remember I wish I could I would say his name but um there's some small publication and he's just like this record is so fucking uncomfortable it's like when a drunk girl corners you in the bar and you don't want to be cornered in the bar <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah maybe it is just like so this is what happens and this is how I feel about it um but it's all I could write at the time. I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it must feel, I mean, now that you've moved on and time has passed, and when you start writing these songs for the new record, the, the new work that you're working on, uh, do you feel, though, that you have a kind of a new wisdom? Because someone someone once told me that when you are grief-stricken, that's when you see the world for how it truly is. Um, and mm. that's where the, the wisdom comes from. Do you feel wiser as a songwriter? I I just want to say like resoundingly yes, but I don't know. I really have to think about it. Um, 
I mean, I think I feel wiser as a person and as an observer of the world just being, you know, in my 40s. There's a certain amount of, uh, like, I'm com- more comfortable with myself. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that's affected my songwriting, really. I think that um, when I sit down to write, I don't spend so much time deliberating, like, oh, how to start or, you know, just sort of get in there and write and things maybe come more easily to me. Um, and it becomes clearer to me pretty quickly what direction the song's going. But I don't know if uh, the messages or the in my songs are convey any more wisdom than they did 20 years ago i don't know it's yeah it's interesting because i find that when i'm writing if i all i can say for sure is i know what not to put in the the right i know what should go there i don't know how i am otherwise but i do know that yeah i think and i think uh being an english teacher you're pretty good at that too like you're just looking at papers you're like oh no no that can't be in there um (laughs) that's gotta go and i yes i can do i can certainly do that in my own writing as well yeah you're right or just if i start to think oh this is i'm you know start to write something that's just like oh no you just yeah that's that's never gonna work i do know that pretty quickly yeah
the album may be a very precarious uh, format these days, but I still think people do listen to records front to back. So when you were writing this one, did you think about it in terms of, you know, sequencing? This song leads to the next song, which leads to the next song. How do you keep that stuff in mind? I, I don't think I've ever written um, a record, nor, and this wasn't the case with the Mendoza line either, wherein I thought, okay, I just wrote this song, and so now I have to, you know, write the sequel, or this is, or this is where I want to go in the narrative. I always just write the, the song, think, okay, this one's going to have 11, record's going to be 11 songs long, and then just sort of, you know, work out the puzzle of, of the order of it. And uh, And I think so much of it is sort of just making sure that it flows and that it's, you know, uh, that it's dynamic, you know, um, but then oftentimes in figuring out the sequence, just based on like, oh, this is a little more up-tempo or uh, can't put this one together because it's in the same key or whatever. Um, once I come to that final decision, oftentimes I feel like there is a narrative and may, you know, and I'm sure I'm just rationalizing it and saying, oh yes, well, this was perfect because this, this theme is in this song and then it, you know, flows into the next one. But it ha it's funny, that happens. Um, I'm always, I've never been regretful of, uh, of the sequencing of a, of a record, which is interesting. I had a chat with Alison Moyer a couple of years ago, and at the time she was in her early 50s, and she was talking about hmm. how difficult it was uh, for her uh, as a woman in her 50s, she felt as though she was thrown away by the industry. She felt as though, mm -hmm. even though she's still incredibly respected and revered, she just felt there was yeah. no place for her new material. And she was really frustrated by that, which I totally understood. Do you think about those kinds of gender issues and how do they present themselves to you in the industry? I, I definitely don't feel um, that I am seen as having a lot of value as a woman in my 40s, but I would say that it's not just in the music industry. I just, it's, it's, it's just interesting being a little bit older, how you become invisible, you know, and I'm not a bad looking woman, not a bad looking bird. That's what my dad tells me. <laughs> but uh, it, I, a couple of weeks ago, I'm walking down the street in, in Crown Heights, and Crown Heights has become, you know, all trendy and young these days. Um, and I was walking to meet a friend in a bar on a Friday, and these two sort of, you know, bros, these two fraternity-looking guys in their 20s, um, are, you know, walking towards me, and they're and he hits my shoulder like pretty hard. He just he really he walks into me. Um, he didn't see me and then didn't apologize, you know, and I thought, oh, my God, it's happening. I've heard about this phenomena of just like not not seeming worthy to other people. It's a real phenomenon. It's uh, something that I think entirely too much about, I think, <laughs> because, um, you know, we're all just we're getting older. I don't specifically in the music industry. I think um, I'm so I'm rather detached. You know, I'm not a huge. I'm not hugely connected or anything. And so 
I don't, I don't feel it. Um, I think I felt the blow of uh, when bar none didn't want to do another record with me. I felt really upset and felt that I had lost value in their eyes. And I mean, I've known Glenn Moore forever. He's a great guy, but that was sort of hard for me. Do you, did you ever figure out what that was or it was just like, sort of like creatively, they just felt it was time to move on. Well, I think that I just didn't make them money. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I think that, yeah. But also, I, you know, I know with um, labels that are still trying to stay above water, which is a rarity these days. Um, I think there's this expectation that you're, you're going to play X amount of shows a year that you are going to go out on tour um, and I'm sort of like, well, I'll play a record release show and a little bit about uh, around New York. And then, yeah, maybe I could go out for a week or two in the summer when school's over, you know? Um, and I think that might be viewed as sort of a, a lack of dedication. And that's totally understandable. You know, I, I explained to, to Glenn when I wanted to put out Summer of the Whore, like, look, I'm, you know, depressed. I'm going through this divorce. I'm a high school teacher now. I've got cats. I don't want to <laughs> go anywhere. <laughs> but I want to make records, and I want to give them to you, and I want you to put them out. But, you know, I'm not touring, or, you know, certainly not for long periods of time. And I, and I do think that that is not exactly what they're going for. So they have a bunch of young bucks. That's good. Yeah. By the way, you seem like somebody who has a very good vision. Like you seem like you can always look four steps ahead. Like you knew that being a high school teacher was probably the wiser move than just teaching ESL. And you knew that you didn't want to make, you know, a career in the Mendoza line. You didn't think that was the right thing. And the Appalachian mm-hmm. Trail, you'll finish it you know, at this point. So you seem very good. And this is, I've never been good at this, at sort of looking ahead and planning. Um Am I right, or am I, or am I onto something here? Because I'm impressed. Well, thank you. Um, I think I am. I'm a good planner, and I think a lot of it, again, just has to do with the fact that I thrive on like a stability and a routine and sort of knowing things. I don't like to be surprised. It's. Re- I think it's because I'm kind of just like a boring person. And I don't like surprises. <laughs> Wait, you are so not boring. Well, thank you. I was hoping you'd say that. That's why I said I was boring. <laughs> why do you think you're boring? Why do you say that? I, I don't know. I think, I, you know, my my life is just very mundane and, and simple. And I, I like it that way. Um, I, you know, I think I thrived on a lot of instability and, and chaos in my 20s. and I. Uh, it just, it wasn't, just wasn't for me. I couldn't sustain it. Um, and so the simpler, the calmer, the better for me. And I so mean, I think that's why I plan so much. I like that. I like that you don't, you almost like you gird yourself against surprises. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I can't, I, I well, I mean, like, if someone were to surprise me with, like, um, a kitten, Although I really shouldn't have another animal because I've got four of them. You know, that would be kind of a very sweet surprise. But if some, the thing that I really can't stand being surprised by is if um, 
a visitor wants to come like in the next couple days, like, Hey, I'll be in New York. Can I stay with you? I uh, freak out. Like I need a month at least to wrap my head around it. I need a month to think of a good excuse to have them why they can't stay with me. And you know what? Here's another thing. We're all like very much adults now with, you know, jobs and stuff. If you're coming to New York, like, there's Airbnb. Like, stay with me for one day, but then you don't have to stay for the week. Why me? We're not that good friends, you know? I know. I know. I don't like that either. I don't like the surprise. Or how about the one where someone just shows up at your house? Hey, guess what? I'm in town. And you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've never, like, shown up at my door, but I certainly have gotten the text that, oh, I'm in New York or I'm in Brooklyn. And then I'm thinking, oh, but I don't want to change any of my plans, nor do I particularly want to see you. I mean, some people, some people I do, but it's like, yes, yeah, jarring. Like, didn't you know before today when you were actually in Brooklyn that you were going to be in Brooklyn? Right. Yeah. I, okay. I, yeah, I don't I, like those surprises. Here's an admission. I've never told anyone this. One time I had a loose acquaintance from New York uh, he mm-hmm. called me and he said, Hey, I'm in Berkeley. And uh, do you have any plans tonight? And I said, I have no plans tonight, but I'm in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I said, how ironic. I, I wasn't, I was lying. I was like, I'm. Oh, you were lying. Yeah. Cause I was like, Oh, you've surprised me, man. I am not ready for this one. Uh, so oh, I, said, I lied about not being, yeah. Saying I wasn't in town. If someone wanted to see me i've done i've done that you've done that one too okay good all right yeah but Uh, i appreciate your trusting me enough to share that i I don't think it's horrible okay maybe it is horrible but i'm saying it's not because i have done it too okay and i don't want to think of myself as a horrible person (laughs) yeah if you've done it it can't be horrible uh oh alex true look i think life is mundane i mean life that is sort of like the quotidian element of living is that you do things right you come up with a schedule and a routine and and in many ways a template for for living and that's okay i think it's okay if if there's a little bit of of a mundane element in the way that we live i think it's all right yeah i I do go through those periods where i feel like a profound loss like oh i've i've missed out i've just let time go by i've missed out on things i haven't seized opportunities um that well that was a big part of um the song um the grand execution that i that's on the new record like yeah. it's well basically it's uh yeah it's just about like loss and trying to fight against it and uh i was thinking at the time i was actually um teaching streetcar and i was reading the foreword which was um actually um published in the times i think in the uh, like mid forties or something. And, uh, Tennessee Williams, like, first of all, he talks about this, uh, idea of like, what is good? It's the, no, what is it? The obsessive interest of human affairs plus compassion and moral conviction. And I thought, Oh, I like this, but also just, uh, it, I think it ends with time is short and doesn't return. Um, it's slipping away. Now the monosyllable is lost, 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 unless you devote your heart to its opposition. 
I just love that. <laughs> and oh, like, I, beautiful. And so this, this idea, yeah, of like devoting, yeah, your heart to to the opposition of law, like fighting against it. Um, yeah. Do you do you feel like like now that you know we're both in our forties? I'm I'm much older. I'm 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 forty eight, but I feel that time is not finite. And I used to feel. Right. I mean, I feel that it is finite. I'm sorry. And I used to feel yeah. that there was just so much of it that I almost didn't even know what to do with it. I was like drunk with time, and and yeah. now I'm very much aware of how little there is of it left. And that's a weird thing to be. It's a weird lens to be looking through all the yeah. time. Well, I vacillate because I, I certainly in my 40s realized like, oh, well, I'm technically I think we're middle aged. I hate to say it, Alex, but I'm pretty sure we're middle aged. We are. And that's scary. And I do think, oh, there's so much that I haven't done or so much that I still want to do. But then still sometimes I just think, Jesus Christ, life is long, like enough already and that this is not a, a cry for help or anything Alex but it's like it it still feels long sometimes you know it does it know. is long yeah. and, I, and I think that sometimes but then again like look how fast this summer has gone right like oh yeah, fast, yeah. right oh, yeah. so it's all relative to do you ever have those romantic notions where and you have a very Irish sounding name, but do you have a, a romantic notion of like, I'll go to Ireland or something and see what happens? Uh, well, you... I just got my Irish passport, but that has li less to do with Ireland than it does with uh, Trump. But um, my dad's <laughs> from off, off the boat and uh, I have a bunch of family there. My dad moved here in uh, the mid sixties and, um, and I've spent, a lot of time there. I visited many times, and one of my closest um, cousins, Stephen McArdle, is um, also a singer-songwriter, and um, he's actually going to be in New York um, late August, which is exciting. And, uh, and sometimes I think, yeah, like, I'll just move to Ireland, and Stephen and I will just make music, and I'll hang out in those pubs where, you know, they just invite you to play with them. Hey, that just sounds so good. A, yeah. It I does. Mean, it's it's very much a possibility now because I could work there too. So you, I, I knew when your dad referred to you as not a bad looking bird, I thought he can't be American. No, and he also, but my favorite, and this inspired um, my first solo record, um, when he's really proud of you, like, or one of his kids, um, it doesn't matter if it's my brother or my sister or me. If you say like, oh, I got this uh, random marathon or I got this promotion, I'll go, ah, you whore ya. <laughs> <laughs> it's that means I'm very proud of you. Um, and, uh, but, and then the, my second favorite, maybe my first favorite is um, when he's going to go to the bathroom, he says, um, I'm going to go splash the boots. And, I I say that now, and it's very disturbing to people because they're like, well, how do you splash? I get splash the boots, but you're a woman. And uh, but kid, my sister and I use that a lot. My brother does not. Um, <laughs> or if he's surprised by something, he goes, oh, it'd be the hokey pokey. And he calls money spondulux. There's so many. Oh, my God. He and I'm sure he has a, he still has his accent. 
Well, he has his accent, but he also, so we all, uh, we were all born in New York, but the, my dad's in textiles. And so he got offered a job in Albany, Georgia, and we, which is called Albany, Georgia, home of Ray Charles. We moved there in 1980. And so we, we grew up in the South. Um, and then I moved back to New York 20 years ago, but my dad's still in the South. They stayed in Albany and then, um, he and my mother moved to Jacksonville, Florida a couple of years ago when they sold our childhood home. And so he has this, um, it's not a Southern accent, but he does have like Southern gentleman tendencies, like the flow of his words or his phrases. And so it's very confusing. No one can figure out where he's from. So it's sort of like <laughs> Irish Southern gentleman. Yeah, like where's that guy from? Well, I like that. <laughs> I like that you have the Irish dream that's always there. Uh, in yes. Case, you know, this country, which it, things are not looking good for us here. Not looking uh, good, no. No, that Irish passport, I'm very jealous of it. Well, do you have a contingency plan? I am always been a, a terrible planner, but I, you know, I'm I'm a Jew. I think Israel will have me, but I don't think that's a good move. Um, but I uh, I've been thinking about um, departure, yeah, because <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. things are about to go straight to hell. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I, it's just every day I wake up thinking this isn't real. This can't. This is <laughs> this really can't be happening, but. I'm pretty sure it is happening. It's happening. My favorite thing is, is I heard this one guy say, he said, you know, if you were to bring this storyline to a publisher, they would say to you, take another pass. That's implausible. That This would never happen. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> you know? The only good I've seen come of it is, um, I mean, is it's interesting to see my students be, just much more involved and sort of take a more activist role. Like we, we did, um, you know, some school marches on um, immigration law and, and um, you know, the, and talked a lot about the Me Too movement. And um, it's like, I tell you, like 17-year-old girls, they're just fearless. And so it's reminded me how important it is to, like, Maybe it's important to stay here and be a strong woman or just a, you know, strong person who is going to sort of wait this out and also, you know, try to try to fight it. I don't know. But it's been it's been interesting to see young people much more interested in what's going on. Yeah. And I think that in many ways, this kind of thing activates the activist in young people. Right. Which, yeah. you know, which is very, very good for you as a songwriter. What inspires you? Do you find that it's your own life or do you do you ever look outside of it and and write songs that are uh, that not not about what's happening to you experientially, but maybe you can sort of like reflect it back? Yeah, um, I think in not not so much um, in this record, but I I remember in some. Well, in Fear the Dream of Axes, I said, well, I was sort of obsessed with um, like Ishtar and Gilgamesh and all of this uh, sort of Mesopotamian uh, literature, which sort of, I was just in a fantasy land writing about that, so it wasn't the real world. And uh, I remember in some, uh, I guess on Fortune 
um, the Mendoza line record, I was, I, there's teaching immigrants. There was just a, a lot. I had thought and read a lot about that. And there's a, a song called flat feet in Western style, which is just sort of about, um, I was just fascinated by sort of the, um, the adoration that um, Korean mothers have for their sons and not so much for their daughters. It's, it's probably changing. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I've written a few songs actually about, um, about immigrants as well. Um, the last um, Mendoza line record, um, 30 Year Low, there was a song called Since I Came that's about a um, uh, Mexican, like uh, illegal immigrants, basically, and, and the struggle. Um, and I, yeah, I try to write topical songs and try to be outside of myself as much as possible, but it's hard and I find it's not as easy and I give up. Why do you think it's so hard and why do you give up? Hmm. I think it's hard just because it's easier just to truly write about how you're feeling or what you're observing. Um, And I think that if you take yourself out of the equation, there's this fear or uh, it's an insecurity I have that I'm going to somehow screw something up like a, offend someone or or you don't understand the situation um perfectly or um or just to have someone say like what the fuck is this song about (laughs) right um and also i guess just that maybe i feel will people connect to it um if it's not just this very like not that all of my songs i'd like to think they're not all straightforward that there's you know some innuendo and veiling and but uh maybe wanting people to connect and thinking the best way to connect is to just like just put it out there like this is these are the words that came to me right away you know um and it's uh, it's easy for me to write very personal songs um i'm better at it tell me your um your idea for the future. What is your plan? Like, do you looking a few steps ahead artistically, what is your plan? Mm-hmm. And what are your aspirations? Um, well, I want to start, first of all, playing more. I mean, not like not touring, but actually enjoying playing again, because there was a time when I did. And then I think uh, it's, you know, everyone's leaving New York and having babies. My longtime collaborator, Clint, who recorded um, the new record, moved to Louisville with his lovely wife and their their twin daughters. They just had kids. And, um, and it's happening more and more that uh, the people that I've collaborated with for, you know, over a decade are sort of moving on and doing adult things, if you will. And um, every time... <laughs> I lose someone that I'm close to that I love playing with and collaborating with. It's really hard for me because I get very attached because the person just, they know me, they know my thought process. They know um, how I feel about playing. And so I feel much more comfortable. I was this way with Adam Gold who uh, produced the first two solo records. And I just get, I, 
get kind of scared and I think, oh, well, now I have to find new people and they're not going to like play with me as much as these two guys do. I need, I need coddling all the time and I need <laughs> someone to tell me that I'm good and reassure me and be patient and comforting. And so I think that's why I don't always love playing, but I'm trying to get back to enjoying it again. And I'm still with Bob Zampelt, who plays bass on the record, and I've known for many years. We're, uh, you know, we're getting together some people, and maybe this is, it'll be great, and we'll play once a month or something. I, I would really like to, yeah, enjoy that again, instead of feeling that it's a bit of a, a tedious chore um once i'm on stage i'm happy and then i'm but then i'm very happy to be off stage um <laughs> so that is that's one goal and another is to not wait another you know i think it's been six years since my last record and i would like to have something out certainly you know in the next couple of years and I was going to say now that I know how to do a self-release, um, that should be easier. But what I really mean is now that Ray Ketchum can do everything for me, <laughs> then I know that I can get this one out much more quickly. You mean now? And just having this one, this one being done, I just feel like I could really be serious about writing. Or this one being out, because sitting on it was really bad for, for me uh, as far as producing songs yeah i mean and now you can you can delegate a self-release and now you can do it again yeah i can do it again you can do it again. ray can do it again for me yeah <laughs> Jenna, <laughs> you are so not boring i want to tell you that oh thank you i don't it's think true. you're boring either but i don't think you think you're boring so <laughs> Isn't she great? That's Shannon McArdle. Her new album, A Touch of Class, is out now on her very own Chandelion Records. Uh, for more information, everything you need to know is at shannonmcardlemusic.com. Check it out. Buy the album. Uh, you will not be sorry. I promise. Uh, now, if you're interested in Bombshell Radio, bombshellradio.com will do the trick. Also, if you're on iTunes, subscribe to us, Bombshell Radio. And since you're there and there's no reason to go back... I mean, why waste the gas? Subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast. And if you have some stars in your pocket you want to get rid of, throw them our way. We could use a rating. And if you want to review our show and say something nice, well, that would mean the world to us. Do we stay up late at night counting stars and reading reviews? Yes, we do. Is our ego that fragile? Well, it might be. Uh, I am Alex Green. This has been Stereo Embers, the podcast. Let's close the show off with uh, a new song from Shannon McArdle. This is the uh, debut of The Grand Execution. It's the fourth song on her new album, A Touch of Class. Enjoy it right here, and I will see you next week on Stereo Embers, the podcast. Oh.